actions antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. Today, I want to start talking to you about something a little bit more light, a little bit more fun, and that is going on vacation. We all need rest. We all need time away. And sometimes we all oftentimes need a change of scenery, a different point of view, a different perspective. Um, to embellish on this topic, I'd like to introduce you to my guest today, Sabrina Morris or Sabrina, the lifestyle promoter. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm looking forward to working with your audience, having conversations. Oh, for sure. So I had read somewhere, and I don't remember the exact numbers, um, the startling facts around how much PTO, vacation time, et cetera, goes unused in this country right now. We're in a situation where a lot of people just don't feel like they can take their time off and they don't feel like they can essentially take vacation. What do you think people need to do to feel more comfortable and taking what they should see as like just a normal part of their life and something that any person that works reasonably hard deserves to do? Love yourself. And I'll elaborate. I am known as an enterprise architect. And as an enterprise architect, you go in and solve C-suite executive problems. I have an engineering background, a business background. And when you go in as a niche consultant and solve those problems, and you're wanting to take a vacation so that you can reboot, re-energize, and renew your mind, there's an assumption that all of a sudden you're not, and I'm going to put quotes, dedicated. Mm. So what I did is allowed that Sabrina's not dedicated because she wants to take a break, influence a decision to use the time off. Or to take the time off. Now, even as a niche consultant, we have a little bit more flexibility because we can take time between projects. Yeah. I did not. I cost, caution each and every one of you not to make Sabrina. Take care of you. Love on yourself. Do what you enjoy doing. I really like the way the Europeans do it. They work so that they can enjoy life. A lot of times, Americans and American companies live to work. The employees live to go to work. Get up, you get ready, grind it out. You know, for those of us who, who are still commuting, you're commuting. You got the people cutting you off. You got to resist the road rage. Then yep. you get to work, deal with the fact that they don't have enough staff, deal with the fact that they don't love on their employees or appreciate what you do. You deal with all of this. And then, you have to go back in the grind, you know, drive back home, resist the road rage. And if you can rest, then it starts all over again. So you have to make sure that you love on yourself and your family, especially for those of you who are married or have a significant other whose love language is quality time. Yep. You're not spending that quality time. I'm sure they have reminded you. Mm -hmm. It'll come out one way or the other, right? Yes, it will. So love yourself. Focus on taking a healthier approach to your work lifestyle. Yes, I know everybody's got to go to work, or pay your bills, and you have obligations, but you also have an obligation to you and your loved ones. So 
What is the potential downside of loving on yourself? One of the things many people are probably fearing is that, okay, if I decide to work a few less hours, if I decide to not be the person that is willing to take on each additional task, each additional project, if I decide that, okay, I'm worth having a vacation, that something's going to come down on them, whether it be their work be less quality or whether it be some punishment from the company, a lost promotion, a lost opportunity. Is that an accurate assessment of it? Or is that something that's a little bit overblown? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. They do process those things like, oh, I want the next promotion. I had to learn the hard way that there are companies out there that actually appreciate their employees. Maybe you want to take an assessment and say, does this company really appreciate me and the quality that I bring to the position? If they do, they will be insisting that you take leave for many reasons. Yeah. Re-energize. And when you solve problems, you have a different perspective. I've also done a training on momentum and motivation. And in that class, we talked about how to reboot on your vacation. Because some of us need a vacation from our vacation. So there are strategies that you can leverage to do that as well. I say this to say, you still need to keep your priorities in mind. Mm. The company, being that I have worked with a lot of C-suite executives, they are going to keep their priorities. They are going to keep, I'm going to say that over and over and over, they are going to keep their priorities and they're going to be important to them and they are going to do whatever it takes to get their objectives accomplished. Yep. So we, as employees or team members, need to do the same for ourselves. If you go to work thinking you're not replaceable, that's the biggest mistake you can make right there. I have seen so many cases where employees burn out and they had to quit or they had to leave. I had one lady tell me that one of her team members even committed suicide. It's oh, not my. worth it. Yeah. It is not worth it. You have to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, now what is your family going to Yeah. Yeah, there's so many reasons. So it's interesting that you bring up needing a vacation from your vacation because I've heard so many people tell stories of taking a vacation and coming back not refreshed for one reason or another. Maybe they've decided to overplan and be perfectionist about every little thing. Or maybe they're they're not really thinking about it in the right mindset. They're trying to make it another version of accomplishing something. I need to see this, 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 and this. Um, is there a certain mindset we need to come into um, with our vacations to make sure that anytime we take a vacation, when we come back, we actually are rejuvenated, we actually are refreshed and kind of ready to to take on coming back in a the way a vacation's meant to work? That's a good point because for a long time, I could never understand why anyone would want to plan every single little thing. Like there's no room to take a break unless they plan it in the schedule. And then I started understanding that has to do a lot with a personality type. In that scenario, I would say it's okay to delegate. I know that sounds scary to some people or they're like, oh my God. Oh my God, that's part of my fun because I've asked that same question. 
And many individuals say their vacation starts when they start the planning process. Now, when I say, okay, guys, you can delegate a considerable portion of that, there are communities out there that will literally plan a great deal of your escape. And then you'll have your free day whereby, let's say you pick up maybe two things or you don't be so intense on the, we're going to do this at four o'clock, we're going to get up at six o'clock, we're going to do all these other things. And then yep. at noon, we have to eat our noon. We don't eat our noon. We're off schedule. If you see yourself in that role, I want to challenge you to have a free day whereby you don't know what's going to happen. And then if you say, okay, that's way too much. I got to know something about the day. I'm like, okay. I'll meet you halfway if you meet me halfway. I want you to take the last day of your escape. So let's say you're going somewhere for five days. On that very, very first day, because I know you're a planner. I'm talking to the planners out there. I'll get to everyone else soon. Yep. But for the planners out there, I want you to, day one, scope out a very quiet, secluded place on or at that. You're going to keep that place in your mind because remember, you're going to have one day. You don't know what's going to happen. However, I'm going to give you a little context so you'll have some idea. So on that last day, I want you to go to that spot. This is the plan. Okay, so now you're getting the plans. You can't say you didn't have plans, but it's going to be nice. I want you to do nothing that whole day. Sit there and relax. Watch the birds. If you found a place with playing in the pool and that's relaxing for you i want you to go sit there and watch everyone play in the pool or journal think about problem that you need to overcome or, or something you need to work on when you get back and start journaling does not have to have an order to it just want you to start running through ideas mm-hmm. literally those down and, and just take that last day and do nothing Meaning you are doing something because you plan to do nothing. Okay, planners? <laughs> <laughs> when you're hungry, how about that? And then you're going to have um, refreshments when it comes by because some, some places are all included. Somebody comes by and say, would you like something? Don't say, I didn't plan to have that. Try something you never tried before. And just relax and just, just breathe. Focus on breathing, relaxing. I like to meditate on God's word. I'll take a scripture and I'll focus on that. And then I'll say, okay, God, what do you want me to know about this that that I needed to be in a relaxed state to really comprehend? So that last day, planners, do nothing. Plan to do nothing on your last day. So I'm guessing that when you say do nothing, you don't mean like, pulling out your iPhone and looking at random videos or even reading a book. Like you really mean like do nothing and, you know, allow your mind, allow spiritual, whatever you believe in, whether you believe in God or something else to, to guide you to do something different than what you normally do. Or even go to sleep. How about that? Go to sleep on the beach or go yeah. to sleep listening to the birds. Or go to sleep listening to the animals, depending on where you're staying. Let's say you're on safari. I hear, I haven't been yet. 
But I hear that you can hear the animals everywhere. Play and listen. Listen to the sounds around you. You brought up another good idea. For some of you, reading a book is relaxing. If that's the case, then read a book. But I want you to relax. I want your body to be in a relaxed state. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, is this something people can incorporate into life outside of taking vacation? And let's say something along the lines of the first Sunday of every month, I'll take half a day or a few hours to just relax somewhere. Or, you know, after church, I'm going to sit on a park bench for an hour or something. Yeah, that's actually an excellent idea. I call that a staycation Mm -hmm. because. Some of us have not accrued enough vacation to even take a vacation. So what do you do in that scenario when the company is not allowing you to take any vacation because you just started a new position? How do you work that in? And you hit the nail on the head. You can take a day on the weekend. So many of us live in cities that people will travel from all over the world to get to. So, for example, here in Colorado, that's known here as like the ski destination. If you're here or if you're a snowmobiler or an adventurous, you can take a full day and do an excursion. Yeah. Get up early in the morning, do your excursion, and then while you're on that excursion, because you're on a time crunch, many a times you can book a shuttle from the airport to the resort. So on the way back, while you're riding the shuttle, that could be your downtime. You're not driving, you're delegating. You're delegating part of the vacationing or staycation, if you will, to the driver. Now you can take a seat, you can relax. This is not dark. You can look out the window and, you know, look at all the mountains, take pictures, just breathe, you know, and relax. That's a good point. So. You talked a little bit earlier about kind of what seems like a somewhat default work culture when you mentioned, okay, you go in traffic, you get angry, go to your job. And so many studies have shown that more than half of people don't like their jobs. So most likely a job you don't like. And then you go back in traffic, you get angry. Oftentimes the involves some sort of escape in the evening, whether it be television, drugs, alcohol, or excessive use of social media. and then kind of rinse and repeat the same day. We're starting to question that now, especially since the pandemic with the quiet quitting, great resignation, all that stuff. But it seems like before the pandemic for about three or four decades, if not more, that default was was kind of accepted, at least as you said, in the United States. How do you think that that came to be something that people just kind of accepted? Like, this is just how life is. You're going to have an episode coming up about that, I think interviewed Mr. Stephen, and he's really great at explaining the whole, you know, where does everything originate? And he and I had that conversation a while ago, so let's see if I can recall parts of it, but everyone definitely defaults to the episode that's coming. I did a lot of research on my family history as well, and I yeah. found out that my mother's side, there were no slaves. There were farmers, and in that, there's a cycle with farms. You plant, you you harvest, you reap, and then you go to the next. You wait, and you plant, and you do it again. 
with manufacturing, that started to change. You're not on the farm. You are actually reporting into work. And now, instead of making the decisions on how much to plant, how much seed to replant, all the strategies that go with being a great farmer, now you're showing up and having someone tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And then you, you now you have to show up when they say show up. Now you strategic thinking, if you will, was not exercised as much because now it's like put the widget here, turn the screw, move it down the line, do the next. So in that grind, if you will, I think it just bled into that. Mm-hmm. And the culture did not start encouraging unless because because I did research on my family, there was a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, my grandfather owned three businesses. Oh, wow. That everything from a grocery store to a, um, a gas station, and I'm forgetting one other. And I remember my mother, she was an entrepreneur as well. And my grandfather said, you know, if he'd done half the things that my mother told him, he would be a billionaire over and over and over again. He didn't do that. So, it, for those of us who do not have that family influence, that entrepreneurial influence, then all you know is go to school, go to work, get a job, and, and continue. You don't know there's options there. You don't know what other possibilities exist. So here we go with another challenge. So I challenge each and every one of you to. Start looking outside of your grind. What are you gifted at? You, you can say, Sabrina, how do I know? What do people compliment on that you don't do, that you don't think about because you're like, oh, I didn't really spend much effort on that. It just happened. Yeah. And you can like pay attention to yourself, pay attention to how you're being responded in the community that you're around and be like, oh, you know, maybe I am naturally good at this. And this probably ties all the way back around to the first thing you said about loving yourself, because it seems like you have to love yourself in order to even recognize, yes, I am gifted at this. And yes, that is something that matters. Yes. That, that's on point. And kind of back up a little bit. When you're getting input for other people, consider the source. I'm going to say that again. When you're getting input from other people, consider the source. Do not take input from people that are negative all the time. Negative, negative, negative. Negative, 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 negative. No, no. I'm talking those are genuinely giving you feedback that you can use. Not that negative. We stay positive with the brief. <laughs> we all <laughs> negative. That takes me a different route, which I don't think so. So when you're getting that feedback, and it could be a hot something you see as a hobby, and you could possibly turn that into a business. I'm not saying to quit your job tomorrow, because that's a whole other strategy. Do facilitate a game called the Cash Flow Game, which is done with Robert Kiyosaki. It's a great simulation. I used to write simulations for companies as well. It's a oh, great nice. way to simulate your balance sheet. If you simulate your balance sheet, you can actually implement some of these entrepreneurial ideas you may have on the board before you act. And that's something else I'll do. I haven't done that in a long time since 
Seattle. Well, well, I did one like maybe a year after the pandemic, the pandemic, you know. <laughs> so after that, I need to start doing, you brought up the point, I need to start doing more of these cash flow games. And they're fun to host and facilitate because I learn a lot from all of the players as well. And we have a strategy session before we start. We start by saying, okay, put an idea in your head that you want to implement in your life. Yep. Simulation, okay? If you're thinking, oh, I want to buy more stock, that's what you want to do. Oh, I want to buy more real estate, that's what you want to do. Oh, I want to invest in some businesses, that's what you want to do. Oh, I want to buy some CDs, that's what you want to do in the game. And then see how it plays out for you. And I would say you want to take a nice sample. So even if you have that strategy and work the game 15, 20 times, see how it works for you. Yeah, you got to try it a little bit over and over again. And uh, just for a little reference, uh, in case anyone listening is not um, familiar with uh, Kiyosaki and, um, you know, his main book is uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. At least that's the the most famous one of his. Cash flow. it's all about, if I'm describing this right, kind of setting up passive income so that as opposed to kind of spending your whole life trading your time for money, which is what, you know, regular jobs are, you're actually buying assets that are bringing you income and you can achieve financial independence. Yes. Ever since I was in, I think, middle school, my mother would pay for me to go to training outside of the school. Hmm. And I continued that as an adult. I continued that. And I was taking a class on investing stocks. And the instructor came to class with, oh, I don't have a good prop. But he had a stack of Benjamins, $100 bills, about six thick, like just pulled out. And he yeah. fanned them. And he introduced himself and he's fanning this money. He said, What are these? And I, and the one steady thing. So I said, Those are mine. I think you should bring them over now. You know, everybody. <laughs> and so he said, No, no, no. Seriously, what are they? I'm like, I am serious. I'm not kidding. I'm not, I, I will take the money. Do I need to get up and come and get it? Is that one of those tests? He said, No, fancy. <laughs> so he was fanning this. And I don't know if this, how many times he had practiced this. But he put them back up and back, and nobody got the answer right. And he slammed it on the table, and they just stand out in this smooth way. And he said, "These are my employees. Send them to work every day." Mm -hmm. So another way of looking at it is having your money go to work for you versus you going to work for your money. That's what his message was. Now. I have facilitated the game whereby individuals say, you know, I like the grind. I want to go to work the rest of my life. Yes, you've arrived. That's what you want to do. Play the game from that perspective. And that's what they do. Hmm. The key is to be aware of the multiple ways that income is in them. Then that's why he has the quadrant. Okay. Once you figure out, and I'll go over the quadrant in a minute. Once you figure out where you want to play in the quadrant and it works for you, stay there. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But you need to be aware. And if you're not sure and you want to look at some of the other quadrants, play yeah. there too. So many times 
people make a decision based on hearsay yeah. or said that doesn't work. Well, you're not the same person as you have different gifting. You have different skill sets. You have different qualities. You're unique. So find out what works for your type. Now, the E quadrant we're all talking about, going in the grind, that's the employee. Get up every day, go to work for someone else, tell you what to do. They tell you when to go to the restroom. They tell you when not to. They tell you when to take vacation. They can tell you if you want to take a break. Yeah. Then there's the S quadrant, which is the self-employed person. This is a usually a team of one, and they'll say, well, no one can do it better than me. Not all the time, but that's how they think. However, in the S or the self-employed quadrant, if you don't go to work, nothing gets done unless you're strategic. You have automated systems involved. That's a whole other problem. Okay? Yeah. Now, then there's the B quadrant or the big business. That's where you leverage other people's skills and talent in at least 30, 40, or 50 team members. Now you're starting to get into the big business. Okay. So you're not the only one doing everything. You have a team of people with a collective effort. So a lot of B employees work for B business. Okay. Mm. Then we have the investment quadrant. That's where your money goes to work for you. That's where my instructor, when he came in the room with a big stack of Benjamins that I wanted to run through and grab, he was going to give them to me. <laughs> That's where you have your employees, your Benjamins, your money go to work for you and create other revenue. So those are the four quadrants in a nutshell. And when we do the simulation, you'll want to keep that in your mind and say, hmm, where do I really want to play? And what does that look like for me and my family? It can be pretty hard when some of the values are different amongst family members. The E quadrant is kind of the standard quadrant. I feel like that's a quadrant most people find themselves in. And for someone that's never experienced life outside that E quadrant, never known anyone outside the E quadrant, anything else can be a little bit scary or weird looking. Judging by the number of people who are unsatisfied in the modern world, there's a lot of people out there where that E quadrant just doesn't work for them. They just don't want, they don't want someone telling them when you can go to the bathroom and when you can, you know, whatever else, what you should do, when you should do it and where you should do it. And so they're going to try to find a way to get into one of the other three quadrants. And so that can sometimes become a difficulty, say, you know, because the E quadrant usually involves the standard nine to five workday, as we know it for, for most, at least the post-industrial service sector, kind of considering on that, that lineage from agriculture to manufacturing to now um, where most of our jobs are in the, in the service sector, it's mostly going to be nine to five. And so if you suddenly have a, a career pursuit or an income financial pursuit that puts you into one of those other three quadrants, you're probably not working the standard nine to five. You're probably going to have different hours. You're probably going to have the flexibility of saying, oh, well, I'd rather go to the grocery store on Tuesday at 11 because no one else is there. And that's wonderful. But guess what? I'm sorry. It's Friday night and it's the night everyone goes out, but I got some stuff to do. That's where it becomes key to delegate. And I went to another training at the church that I go to. There's a lot of entrepreneurs. 
And every year we have a major, major training. I mean, there's track, you know, whatever you want to focus on around your business, you can get it there. And I went into one of those classes and the instructor kept saying over and over. He must have said it a hundred times. Delegate. Because so many people are so bad at doing it. And I would challenge each and every one of you that if you cannot go on a Friday because you're stuck doing all this work, did you delegate a work? Mm-hmm. Now you're on a nine to nine grind. And some of us, even in the E quadrant, are on a nine to nine. They pay you from for eight hours, but they expect you to work 12 and 14. I've been there. And I've done yeah. that before. So I tell everybody, don't be stupid like Sabrina, learn from her mistake. So, <laughs> yeah. For those of you who are branching over to the business quadrant or you're branching over to the investment quadrant, yes, there's a lot to learn. There is a lot. I'm going to repeat that. There is a lot to learn. And given that there's a lot to learn, you need to be even more strategic on your delegation. Because you need to delegate and trust, right? You know, that's a good point. That comes with your ability to choose good teams. Yep. And you don't get that opportunity to necessarily do that in the inquiry. Some managers, even their leadership weighs on, on who they can hire. Yep. I'm not talking about that scenario. I'm talking about those who do not get the opportunity to interview and choose their team members. You are going to have a learning curve. Right? You're going to have to learn what type of person works well with you, what type of person you should be looking for for that position. One thing my mother would always say, if you don't know, you can always learn it. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) So, start reading. Now, there's so many classes on YouTube, and, and you can pay for a class and watch it at your own leisure. There's so many things that you can do to help you with the whole delegation. Yeah, and I know there's also so many personality assessments and even kind of work-related personality assessments to help people because I think one of the traps that some people will fall into when they start getting choices on who to hire is hiring themselves. And you know what I mean is like, like I can relate to this person because this person's like a carbon copy of me, but then that doesn't really fill it out because everyone has strengths and weaknesses and you need to to fill in the the gaps in a way. It's like, well, I'm not naturally strong at this, so I need to hire someone who's better at that stuff who may be a very different person than me. Can you say that again? I think that is so not understood. That's it. That's exactly what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. To put it in a slightly different way, I guess, but still say it again, I'll just say that oftentimes the person that you need is a person that is very different from you in many different ways because they can do the stuff that you're not naturally good at and then leave you to do the stuff that you are naturally good at. Yes, 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 yes. And that's an excellent criteria. So you also talked a bit on your story, how you fell into that trap of where, I, you know, a lot of people have that, especially when they started doing salary as opposed to hourly employment. And it's like, well, there's a competitive landscape you might get laid off. You might not get the promotion. So we're going to start expecting you know, more than the standard 40 hours a week uh, of work from you. What is your general method, how you 
first came to the realization that there was something else out there and that you shouldn't be doing this anymore and then got to where you are now? My mother, I've mentioned this a couple of times on other podcasts, that my mother was a huge influence and help in my life. One of the awful challenges that I faced early in my career, I wrote about behind me and dedicated it to her memory. And when my my mother was still on the earth at the time, when she was watching me go through this time where my doctor was literally begging me to quit my job. And she kept reminding me, baby, she called us all baby. If you were one of her children, you know exactly what I mean. She would say, baby, you do not have to stay at the job. You have options. She didn't say that you have options, but I read my mother, you know, you can read it all in her face. You know what she meant. And I said, you know, because I had done so many other types of training. I was already training on the market. You know, there's a group that I was listening to to train in that area. So when I say I facilitated the cash flow game, I also acted. Now, there's one thing to take play the game and not take any action. You just wait. Yeah. Well, the game. And so I'll give everyone an example. There was one scenario where I thought about buying a second home for the sake of having a second home just to go away in the second home to a place where it was nice, sunny. I did that game and I lost. (laughs) And I don't (laughs) lose. I play cash flow games, I usually win. So much so that a lot of times I just don't play so that it can be fair for everyone else. But this time, I lost so quick and it shocked everybody on the board. They're like, you're lost. You're lost. Oh my God. Actually, we need to take a picture of this moment. I did something that I could do that I was thinking about implementing in real life. So when I say, what do you do? If you know you're overworked and underpaid, if you yep. know you're facing, you need to quit your job, if you have a doctor that you're in that same situation, you can quit your job quietly. You can start looking at what other options have you opted for while you were working. Now, if that's nothing, you're going to have to start sometime. You're going to have to start somewhere in some place. And I would say start by taking some classes or start by getting, you've heard that term, a side hustle to expose what you're good at. Yep. There's a lot of opportunity in direct marketing companies and the training is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Show up for training. Take notes. Discover what you're good at. You know, maybe you're not good at XYZ, but if you don't go, how are you going to know? You're not. So then you're right back where you started. But if you go and you find out, oh, this is not good for me, now you can pivot and and work on another potential side hub based on, you know, what others kids are great at or easy to you or what's easy for you to do, then you can pivot, go down that path. If mm-hmm. you have a challenge and you don't know, do what my mother said, study, learn, and get an answer, implement, and keep moving. But there's two things that a lot of people don't do. First, identify there's a problem. Maybe there's identify there's a problem. A lot of times they like to sweep it under the rug because it's easier, but it'll come up in other ways. Your loved ones are telling you, 
you know, you're not spending enough time or your doctor's saying, when are you going to quit your job? Or you keep going to the doctor all the time because you're overworked. The second thing was expose yourself to different things by taking action. Yep. I had one of my uh, directors would say, you know, you need to do it anyway. I don't care if you don't want to go and your knees are stocking, uh, shaking together. Go anywhere. In other words, you have to squash the fear. I know some people say a little fear is not good. No, Sabrina doesn't agree with that. No fear is good. Have a no fear mentality. Now, I'm not telling you jump off the top of the roof. Let's not go crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying go do something off. I want you to explore new options as long as it's not illegal. You're going to go there. There's something, you know, that against God's word, you're not doing any cray-cray stuff. But something that's going to give you an idea of, you know, how do you know you're a writer if you don't write? Yep. How do you know you, you know, publish it? Not just write, oh, I'm going to write, Kristen, write. Well, okay, but get it published and see what happens, you know? Oftentimes also people are a little bit afraid of, of embarrassing themselves. And one of the things that I talk about quite a bit is because I live across the street from a, a school that has a basketball court. And I would like to use this as an analogy because people oftentimes look at those basketball courts and they would look at that one guy that's just amazing. The guy that's, that's just killing it. He's making all the cool moves. He's scoring tons of points, getting all the amazing assists and rebounds. And I like to say to people, think about that one guy. There was a time in the past when he wasn't that good yet when he had to show up and almost embarrass himself on the way to becoming that badass. And so now he is the man on the basketball court. And now everyone's like looking up to him and everything like that. But at some point he wasn't playing that good and he was still showing up. Right. Or he was that person in the middle of the night that nobody saw out there going around shooting hoops just, and nobody else is playing him. Or he's playing his dad or his cousin who's better than, who's a pro. My idea is to get from one place to the next. And what I call, you know, settling for less, living by the script, possibly exactly what you're talking about. You know, I go to work, I get angry on the commute. I get there, I get angered by my boss. I get home, I get angered by the next commute. And then I take that out on my loved ones at home and whatever. To get from that point to the point where you're really thriving, I always think, I always feel like there's like four barriers to, to that success. And with the first one being, awareness, as you said, because you said like you have to be aware, you have to understand that there's other options. Um, awareness, then then action, you know, you said that you have to do something and then some form of sacrifice. And what I mean by that is the sacrifice in the form of some kind of hard work or some time of taking chances, some type of, you know, getting yourself out there when you don't want to, you know, when your friends are getting a beer, you're working on finding clients. And then finally responding to failure. You know, so responding to some sort of uh, setback. It doesn't have to be failure. That's it's a that's a word that people have a lot of different feelings about right now. There's always going to be some kind of a of a setback on that journey. Yes, that's it. That's it. And going outside of your comfort zone, and even if you have a setback or a failure, and I'm going to use that word because sometimes failure is something to be excited about because you learn from it. Now, there's so much metadata or data about what happened that you can go back and assess what happened 
and then make an intelligent decision on how you're going to pivot. Yep. So the fact that you fail is like, oh, okay, that doesn't work, but we're going to figure out what that. And then you can uncover a whole nother realm of possibilities that you didn't see before. On your personal journey, did you have any of those experiences where you had to accept a setback of some kind and really take those lessons? Oh, yes. I have some that are going on right now that I can't even talk about. I'm, I'm assuming they're more significant than losing a, one of those games of cash flow. Yes, very much so. Because what can happen is when you implement and you take action, you can actually lose some of those Benjamins that that instructor had in front of the room. But to the point, you have to take a step back and assess and pivot. And what happens? And like I said, you look at the metadata, you look at the results. It's many times you either have to change your approach or reassess. As an enterprise architect, one of the things we would always do is we start with a high level of what is happening. I call those the high level set of activities. So in every business that I do, I have my what I call my big picture view, all of my high-level activities that have to take place in order to accomplish a particular goal. Now, you can get metadata or data about each one of those high-level activities. If the data points are not accurate, then you can go back and find out, okay, what do we need to change? What should we address to get the results we want? Now, you have to know where you're going. Oh, we're going to do this. You have to know where you're going. When you pivot and you implement, those two key words, pivot, implement, pivot, implement. Now you have more data. Did you implement in the right direction? Did you go in the right direction? If you did and you're getting better results, great. You know, I have a background in lean too. So everything can always be improved. Right away. It can mm-hmm. always be improved. But then you want to take another step back. Yep, we're going down to the right direction. Let's do another assessment. New goals and objectives. Okay. This is what we want to hit. Let's implement. Take action. Did we hit it? Yes. Okay. We're doing better. Or maybe we fell a little short. All right. Let's take a step back. Say it's it's a repetitive problem. It's always happens. Yeah, so we all have to pivot sometimes. Sabrina, thank you very much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, giving us some ideas about what we can do, starting with loving ourselves and then going out and finding what it is that we really want to do and what really works for us, uh, given all the infinite possibilities out there in the universe. I'd also like to thank everybody out there listening today. Uh, hopefully you're ready to go out there and uh, make the life that you really want. 